0: Today, my message is entitled "Love to the End." Now, I hate to probably admit this from the platform; and it's probably the worst place to admit it. But I think that those kissing cams at the games and when they go wrong is really funny. Has anybody ever watched those videos on YouTube for a couple hours, where you know they turn to the big screen, their faces are on the big screen, they lean in for a kiss, and somebody is rejected? I mean, you've seen the videos where people get slapped in the face. You know, I mean, where they 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 stiff arm them. I mean, there's a better stiff arm sometimes in the stands, than on the field. I love watching those videos. Can anybody uh, identify with that? Yeah. Okay. What I really like watching though, and this is terrible, is I like watching when they propose and the lady says no. Okay. So I don't know why that's funny to me, but I watched this one this week. I kid you not. This dude somehow got onto the court. It's a basketball game. He got it out onto the court. He got on one knee. She's looking and she's like, and turns around and walks off. And while he's proposing, I kid you not, the commentator says, I hope she says yes, because he just threw himself out there. And he's like, oh, oh, she said no. Oh, I did not know that was gonna happen. It's gonna be okay, buddy. You'll get over this in 10 or 12 years. He's saying that out loud. The video is 13 years old and it's still on YouTube. Now, here's, here's why I bring that up. Why did why I bring that up? I find that funny because if I was gonna propose, And I was going to do it in front of thousands of people on national television. I'd make sure that she was going to say yes before I got on one knee. I would want to identify, does this woman love me? All right. That's how I roll. I don't know how you roll. I want to make sure that when I commit to something that I know the outcome. So when I proposed a charity at the Pizza Hut, that really happened. Okay, I knew she was going to say yes before I did that. Why? Because I could recognize that she loved me. And I think there's something that is to be said for when you watch videos like this, that we as people sometimes have a hard time recognizing and receiving love from other people. How much more do we struggle to recognize, receive, and even reflect the love that God has for us? Today we're going to be in John chapter number 13. If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to turn there with me. If you don't have your Bible, I'd encourage you to bring a Bible to church on Sundays. There's something something really powerful about holding a physical book in your hand, and it's really just, I think, beneficial for you. John chapter 13, starting verse number 1, here's what the Bible says. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father... Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper, and he laid aside his outer garments, and he took a towel and tied it around his waist, and he poured water into a basin and began to wash the feet of the disciples to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do not wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, what I am doing now, you do not understand now, but afterwards you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon said, Lord, then not my feet only, but my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for the feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. And that's why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and he had put on his outer garments, he resumed his place and said to them, do you understand what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do, just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than one who sent him. If you knew these things, blessed are you if you do them. I'm not speaking of all of you. I know whom I've chose, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate with me, the bread has lifted up his heel against me. I am telling you this now before it takes place. That way, when it does take place, you may believe I am He. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I I send receives me. And whoever receives the one who sent me. Now, we are getting towards the end of Christ's life here on earth. This is right before He is to be betrayed. We are seeing bits and pieces of this, even in the passage we just read. Judas has already settled in his heart that he is going to betray Jesus. He is having a a dinner with his disciples the night before he is to be betrayed. Most scholars believe it is the actual Passover meal, which is pointing to the work that Jesus is going to complete in just a few hours on the cross. If you're unfamiliar with the Passover, it it was a celebration of the Israelites, the night that they were rescued out of slavery in Egypt, how God delivered them at night by the blood of a lamb. And now the true eternal lamb is here on earth and he's about to offer his blood for us, so Jesus would be here eating this lamb, and they'd be having this bread, and during this dinner time, he does this most unbelievable act where he washes the disciples' feet. The passage tells us that that Jesus knew his hour had come. This is the hour that he had been speaking to his disciples over and over and over again. He says, my hour has not yet come, my hour has not yet come, but now the hour is here where he is about to give his life to complete and fulfill the mission that his father had sent him on. And this is the great paradox of the Christian faith, that God wins battles through suffering. So as you can imagine, This moment is very heavy for Jesus. He knows what is about to happen, and yet he chose this moment to teach his disciples. Most of us would not have done this. We would have been completely zoned in at the task at hand. I don't know about you, but for me, when I have a very heavy project I need to get done, I get very zoned in. I get tunnel vision as to what I'm about to do, and I, I ignore everything else around me, and sometimes I can even be harsh in my response because I'm so focused, focused on the task at hand Jesus on the other hand does not do this he sees this moment as a teaching moment for his disciples now we have to ask ourselves a question if Jesus knows he's about to die and he's going to teach his disciples something would he not teach the most important things to them if he only has a few hours left to instruct them does he not instruct them in the most important things and the answer is yes on our deathbed we don't talk talk about football, we don't talk about politics, we find our loved ones and we tell them how much we love them. Why? Because that is the most important thing to us and that's exactly what Jesus does in this moment. He uses a very dramatic teaching moment to help us understand the biggest challenges that any of us are going to have in our life. And this might surprise you to hear what the challenges are, but they really come down to three things. We are always going to struggle to recognize the love of God. We're always going to struggle to receive the love of God, and we're going to struggle to reflect the love of God. These are three challenges that you and I are going to deal with. These are three challenges that the disciples also struggled with. Even those who have come to church for a while, or like the disciples who have walked with Jesus for three years, we continually struggle to do these three things. We struggle to recognize when God loves us. We we struggle to receive that love in our own life and we desperately struggle to show that love to others from time to time. So my prayer this morning is that we would recognize the example of Christ and that we would indeed recognize, receive, and reflect his love to other people around us. So let's walk through this chapter together today. The first thing I want to show you is this, is that Jesus teaches us to recognize the depth of his love. Man, have you ever done something stupid to catch the attention of your wife? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, perhaps an old girlfriend. Don't talk about that in church because that gets you in trouble with your wife right now. That's not how you get her attention. I did that one time. I did something stupid to get Charity's attention uh, to show her how much I loved her. Uh, she was there in the house. We had been married for about five years. She's walking through the house, doing some house cleaning. And I'm sitting there thinking, you know, I love her. She's so sweet, so kind. How can I show her proper affection in this moment? And it hit me. I kid you not. This is embarrassing to say, but I thought... I'll tackle her. I mean, what better way to show her that you love her than you tackle her? So I, I'm, like, I'm like a, a crouching tiger. I sit over there in the corner, wait for her to walk by. I kid you not, I form tackle her. Oh, you could have watched this tape to learn how to tackle last night and take her completely to the ground. And I whisper in her ear, I love you. You'd be surprised to hear that she didn't feel loved in that moment, Right. <laughs> We sometimes struggle to express our love. We also sometimes have a hard time, like Charity did, to recognize my love in the moment. I mean, that's, that's what boys do. We, we tackle things from time to time, including our wife, right? She could not ignore that sign for very long because it was obvious. Here's the thing about love. We struggle to recognize love. In fact, there's a guy who wrote a book on it, a marriage. It was one of the best-selling marriage books of all time. Chances are you've heard of it. It's called The Five Love Language. And the basic premise of the book is that humans show and receive love one of five ways. And what happens a lot of times in marriage is that we show love one way, we receive love a different way. Our spouse shows love one way and receives love a different way. And those four things all have to align if any of us are going to be happy. And a lot of times those things don't align because we struggle to recognize love. Classic way how this plays out is the husband goes to work all day, working like a dog, comes home, and the wife says, well, you don't ever talk to me. And he's like, but I work 12 hours a day with a bunch of people I don't like to put food on the table. And she says, yeah, but I just really want you to take me on a date. And he's like, but I don't have time to take you on a date because I'm working to put food on the table. And then there's this big argument. Why? Because we struggle to recognize love for the husband. Working all day is love. For the wife, going on a date and not getting tackled is love, right? So we struggle to connect with love. And just as we can misinterpret or, or struggle to recognize love with our spouse, so too we can fail to understand and to recognize the love that Christ has for us. And as a result of this misunderstanding of what Jesus is trying to do in our life, we misinterpret his intentions and his word and we get a skewed, perfect, per, uh, we get a skewed perspective of who Jesus is. Jesus understood that his disciples needed to recognize his love. The disciples at this point are still confused as to the purpose of Jesus's mission. This passage says that Jesus loved these disciples. Now, this is very interesting because this is the first time in the gospel of John that it's explicitly stated that Jesus loved the disciples. We know that he always loved them, but now he wants to show the full extent of his love to them. And how does he show the full extent? Jesus, knowing that he's from the father. And that the father had given all things into his hands, arose from the table and he wraps a towel around his waist and he starts to take the lowest form of a servant and wash their feet. Now, a lot is made about the feet of the disciples and how disgusting that they would have been as Jesus washed those feet. And this is true. No doubt those feet would have been nasty. It would have been very humiliating for someone to be a foot washer in this day. This is not a job that you would go try on career day. However, if you read this story as a nice gesture, they were missing the point of what Jesus is trying to do. Jesus is trying to get them to recognize his love. And it's beyond just him taking the form of a servant and washing their feet. He's trying to get them to recognize how much they need his love. There's no partiality in Jesus's words and his life. Jesus is going to go here in just a few hours and lay his life down for these men. And so in this moment, as he's symbolically laying down in humility to wash their feet, so too in a few hours, he's he's going to lay down his life for these men. Jesus taking off his outer garment, Jesus washing the disciples' feet, is an image of his incarnation. See Philippians 2 tells us that Jesus he he set aside his heavenly glory and took the form of what a servant and became obedient to the point of death on the cross. Jesus took off his garment at the last supper so too he set aside his heavenly glory. As Jesus wrapped a towel around his waist, so too Jesus wrapped himself in flesh. And just as Jesus wiped these men's feet, so too he hung on a cross to wipe away their sins. So he's not trying to just do a nice gesture to say, hey, boys, I'm kind of fond of you. He's trying to give them a picture of what they need in their life. And what they need is they need his love to come set them free. His love is emotion, it's humble, it's serving, it's genuine, and it's life-giving. He's trying to get them to recognize their need for the love. Listen very carefully. The love of Christ is what we need in our life because within the love of Christ is the source of every need that you or I may ever have. Because Jesus loved you, you can be saved and you can have the hope of heaven. Because Jesus loved you and had compassion on you, he provides for your healing and he provides for every single one of your needs. Because Jesus loves you and cares for you, he poured out his spirit on your life so that you can have comfort, you can have peace, and you can have guidance in life. His love motivated every single good thing that he has ever done for you and ever will do for you. So when we start talking about the love of God, it's not a nice gesture, it's a soul. Source of our hope. And if we don't recognize his love, then we're going to miss out on the source of that hope. How do people miss it? A lot of times we read this book as a list of things to do and things not to do. A lot of times we, 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 we to the song. We said, but Jesus, you didn't come through me over there. And we, we fail to see that he came for us over here. We misinterpret his love time and time again. Now this raises an interesting question. Why do we resist his love? What if I'm not failing to recognize it, but what if I'm resisting it? The reason why we struggle to recognize the love of God is we don't understand how much we need the love of God. And that leads us to the second thing we want to show you here. So just as Jesus shows us how to recognize his love, the second thing is Jesus is trying to teach us to receive his love for our cleansing. It is our, my observation that most of us do not like to be the center of attention. Let me prove this to you very, very quickly. How many of you hate opening presents in a crowd of people? Okay. So there's like five of us, the rest of who likes to be the center of attention. Maybe I'm wrong on my assumption. Okay. Okay. How many of you just don't like raising your hands at all in church? Okay. Now we're getting there. Okay. So we're getting closer. And that's the real thing. The reason why you don't like raising your hands is because you don't want anybody looking at you, right? You don't like being the center of attention. I hate being the center of attention. Especially at Christmas time when people start giving you presents, you have to open it in front of them. Why? Because what if you don't like the present and you have to fake excitement? Can we just be real for a minute? You guys are like, hee, hee, hee like you're nervous cuz you're like what if my wife thinks I didn't like Charity did this to me the meanest thing Charity never plays a joke on me the meanest thing she ever did to me is we've been dating for 2 years and she's like uh she was wrapping presents in her bedroom for her family one day and I was over there her mom and dad are at the house everybody's you know getting ready for the presents and I go in and she's wrapping up a bathrobe uh for I don't know who she's giving it to and I said why would you give anybody a bathrobe that's the dumbest gift I've ever heard and she just looked at me like and I was like you bought me a bathrobe didn't you I'm like, why would you buy me a bathrobe? That's a dumb gift. And she started crying and making a big deal of it like it was the worst thing ever. She had put all the time. She didn't buy me no bathrobe. She was just being mean to me. <laughs> no one wants to be the center of attention. I don't want to be the center of attention. And apparently neither did Peter. He did not want to be the center of attention. We don't know the order of the disciples in whom Jesus washed their feet. I think it's safe to assume that Peter is not the first, nor is he the last. He's somewhere in the middle of the pack. But make no mistake about it. Peter loves Jesus. However, Peter doesn't realize that he needs to be on the receiving end of the love of Christ. And who can blame him? The hardest part of a foot washing is not going to wash in someone else's feet. It's allowing your feet to be washed because it requires you to be in a place of humility And this is Peter's issue. The Bible says that Jesus came to wash Peter's feet and Peter stops him and says, Lord, you are not washing my feet. That's not going to, you can help them. You can help the guy over there, but you are not washing my feet. Why? Because Peter didn't want his Lord serving him in such a humbling and demeaning manner. And who can blame Peter for this outlook? We would call this manners in our society today. Peter's trying to be polite. He said, Lord, you're not going to wash my feet. And a lot of us have the same response as Peter. We say, Jesus, there are other people that need you more than me. That altar calls for so-and-so over there. I mean, my problems aren't that big. You know, Jesus, you can forgive others, but I have sinned way too much. I don't want to be a burden to anyone. I don't want to be a burden to the Lord. God, you, you can, it's for somebody else. It's definitely not for me. Peter did not. Nor could he, in this moment, understand what Jesus was trying to do. In fact, Jesus says, you don't understand what I'm trying to do. In fact, none of the disciples understood what Jesus was trying to do. We know this because Jesus starts to teach here in a moment. And his response to Peter is very interesting. He said, if I do not wash you, you have no share of me. If I don't wash you, you have no part in what I'm trying to do. Basically, what he's saying to Peter is, if you don't allow me to love you and to serve you and to give you everything and literally lay down my life for you, then you can never receive my grace and my mercy. You have no part of my mission. You have no part of what I'm trying to do, and you are still without hope. Wow. We need the love of Christ so much more than just as a good gesture. We need the love of Christ because we need the cleansing of Christ. And without Christ coming and serving us, Every single one of us are lost in our sins. We are lost without hope of rescue. We are lost without healing. We are stuck in our depression. We are stuck in the pain of the past, and we have no direction for the future. Without Christ coming to serve us, we have no hope. It's important to notice that Jesus said this to who? His best disciple. A few pages back, Jesus asked the question, hey, who am I? And Peter pipes up and says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, yes, sir. And on that confession, I'm building my church. Jesus isn't he isn't saying this to a, a crowd of people who might be wishy-washy about He's saying it to Peter and to a room full of men who love him and care for him. If Peter needed the love of Christ, how much more do we need it today? Now, why did Peter not want Jesus to wash his feet? Peter didn't want Jesus to touch his nasty feet because he knew what he had stepped in. He knew what he had walked in. He saw the mud and the dirt and the smell. And he's like, my Lord can't touch my feet. However, you know what Peter's mistake was? Peter's mistake was that he thought his feet were the dirtiest part of his body. And it wasn't his feet that was dirty to the Lord. It was his heart. See, 2,000 years ago, Jesus stooped down in the form of a servant to wash not our feet, but the dirtiest part of our lives, and that was our hearts. Those feet were not nearly as filthy as our hearts. Our hearts are full of death, full of sin, full of lies and curse and hurt and pain. And Jesus washed all that away. Jesus says this to Peter. He says, look, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. That's why he said, not all of you are clean. Jesus said to him, Simon, you you don't need to wash your whole body. You're good. You have been born again. I've already done that. See, I think it's important to talk about this for just a moment because there's some of us that we've given our lives to Christ. We said, Jesus, I need you to come in. I need your love. We've accepted, we've recognized, we've received, and yet we're still nervous and we're still worried. Am I going to make it to heaven? Have I done everything I need to do? Am I, am I still going to make it there? And that's exactly what Peter's saying. Well, if you got to wash my feet, then wash all of me. Like, Jesus, I, I need to do all the stuff so I can make it to heaven. Jesus like, no, 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 no. You're missing the point. That's not what I'm saying. He's communicating to Peter that he has salvation, but from time to time there needs to be a cleansing in our life. Listen, too many Christians are walking around in guilt and shame of the past. We walk around feeling inferior to other Christians because we know our past. We don't think God can use us, and we are sometimes our own worst enemies. But here's what Jesus is saying to Peter He's saying, Peter, I've already cleaned your body through my blood. You confessed me as Lord a while back. But from time to time there needs to be a fresh touch in your life. Here's the difference that you need to see. Two spiritual terms, justification and sanctification. Justification happens when we're saved. It's a legal term. It means that we're just before God. When We come to God and we say, God, I'm a sinner. I need you. I know you died on the cross. I know you rose again. I repent of my old ways. I turn away from you. The Bible tells us that God is faithful and just to forgive us of all of our sins. And we are justified before God. We're made right. But here's the other word that's really important, sanctification. Sanctification means I'm more like Jesus today than I was yesterday. And when Jesus touches my heart, I say yes to him and I let him continue to cleanse my life. That's what Jesus is getting to in this moment. Peter was justified. He was saved at his moment of confession. But some time and time again, sometimes we get a few things off in our life and we need God to touch our hearts again. Imagine this. You're sitting there and you're getting ready to go in this first century Jerusalem. Let's pretend that we don't know exactly how this worked, but let's hypothetically say Jesus told the guys, look, we're going to have dinner tonight. And these guys have been, they've been walking for miles and they're sweaty and they're dirty and they're nasty. So they go home and they take a bath and they get clean. They put on fresh clothes. I mean, they put on, you know, their good deodorant and their nice cologne, the whole nine yards. They smell good. They look good. And they take off walking in their sandals towards the place where they're going to have the Passover meal. Their body's clean, but because they walk through the dirt to get there, their feet get dirty, and so it gets washed. That's kind of what justification is for us. Justification is the moment we get clean, we get the new clothes, we're the new person, but sometimes as we walk through the world, there's some things that crop up in our life, and Jesus needs to touch it again. And that's what he's saying to Peter. And here's what I want to tell you. If you have given your life to Christ, sometimes there is sin that creeps into our life and you feel like you've lost everything. That's the Holy Spirit convicting you saying, hey, no, 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 you aren't out of me, but you need to get a few things clean in your life. So what do you do in that moment? Allow Christ to wash your feet, but don't feel like you've been kicked out of the room. That's what Jesus is saying in this moment. There's a balance here between guilt and shame. Last thing I want to show you is this. Third, Jesus is trying to teach us to reflect His love to one another. Now, the Bible says that Jesus had taken off His outer garment. He got the towel, washed the disciples' feet. What's very interesting, if you look in Luke's Gospel in chapter twenty-two, it's just before this event. And what are the disciples doing in Luke chapter number 22? They are arguing about who is the greatest disciple, who is the best disciple. Who loves Jesus the most? Kind of a petty thing, isn't it? In fact, one of them goes and gets their mommy and says, Mommy, we want you to go talk to Jesus. And mommy goes and talks to Jesus. And that's embarrassing. Okay? If you're a, if you're a man, you're getting your mom to do your bidding. You're not the favorite. Okay? <laughs> I'll just go ahead and say that right now. You can't do that. Okay? And so they go get mommy, and Jesus is hearing them argue and all this stuff. And now, Jesus is washing their feet. I suspect if you go talk to any of the disciples and said, Hey, Jesus needs his feet washed. Who's willing to do that? They would have all volunteered. Every one of them would have been willing to wash Jesus' feet. But I bet right after you ask them, they're arguing about who's the best, and you go up to John and say, John, will you wash Peter's feet? <laughs> wash his own feet. You know what I'm saying? Wash his own feet. Don't find that humorous side of me. <laughs> I'm just sitting there seeing them being petty. My mom's going to go talk to Jesus. I'm not washing his feet. You know, I can't, is it just me seeing this, or am I embellishing a little bit too much? Perhaps I'm embellishing. If you go to Peter and say, hey, wash James feet. I ain't washing his feet. His feet are nasty. All right, that sucker doesn't ever take a bath. They were not willing to serve one another. Yet Jesus gets down and washes their feet. And then he gets up and he sits back at the table and he resumed his position of authority. And he says this, when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he sat down at the head of the table. I am the Lord. He said to them, do you understand what I've just done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and your teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Wow. Jesus in this moment said, look, no one is above serving. No one is above every single one. If I, as your Lord and teacher have served you, then you are all required to serve. But if I, your Lord and teacher served you, then no one is also below you serving. Every single one of you need to serve, but you also need to be willing to serve anyone and everyone who comes your way. A lot of us can get behind the idea. Yeah, I will. I, I would serve Jesus. I love Jesus. But then God time and time again puts us in a room with our quote-unquote enemy, and we are called to serve them. And we have to humble ourselves, and we have to die to ourselves, and we have to bend down and pick up the proverbial towel and say, I am willing to serve you. Just as no one is above serving, we're all called to serve one another and to love one another. So too, none of us, no one in our life is below serving. You know what's really interesting in this passage is that twice, Judas is mentioned and clearly painted in the light as the one who is going to betray Jesus. In fact, John says that Satan has already prompted Judas to go and betray him. Judas is basically just doing the devil's whims now at this point, And Jesus gets down and washes his feet. What devils are in your life? How do you respond to them? You know how Jesus responded? He washed his feet. Let that settle in for a moment. Jesus washed the man's feet who's going to betray. him. Jesus left the table in heaven, set aside his earth glory, took on the form of servant, and washed the feet of who? Judas, the guy who's going to betray. him. Now, this is important for us to realize because every single one of us are called to serve, and we will not always like the people that we're called to serve. We are called to serve and to love. And to do that sometimes will be an inconvenience to us. Sometimes the people we are called to serve and love will be ungrateful. Sometimes the people we are called to love and serve will act like a devil towards us. All of those things are a reality. All of those things are a possibility. And yet Jesus said, I don't care their response. I care about your actions. There are countless ways in which we are called to serve and to love people around us. Telling them the good news of Jesus giving to the poor and needy, watching out for the widow and the orphan, visiting the sick and in, in prison, watching how we speak towards other people, being gentle and kind, forgiving others who have sinned against us, taking someone to eat at, after lunch on Sunday afternoon. There are lots of ways in which we are called to love and serve other people. And I'm concerned that sometimes we as Christians, we are too passive in this command. Well, we, we only do things that are convenient for us or easy for us. And I think what Jesus would call us to do is say, no, I want you to do the hard things. I want you to do the inconvenient things. And I want you to do the humble, dirty things. I need you to do what I've done. And I need you to wash each other's feet. This is not easy because it goes against our nature. And it requires intentionality. And it requires sacrifice. But the only appropriate response to the love that Jesus has shown us Is to reflect that love to one another. This is the only type of leadership that Jesus requires. And this is the only type of lifestyle that's acceptable. Is to reflect the love of Christ. Jesus does not call us to a life of leisure, but to a life of labor. And we need to be a church full of dirty towels. Amen? Jesus made it very clear. A messenger is not greater than the one who sent him. Jesus sent us. And we are to act like Christ acts. Jesus said one more very important thing. If you do these things, blessed are you if you do them. A lot of us want to be blessed in life. We want a blessed, worship team, you can come back. We want to be blessed and we want a blessing in our life. How do we have this blessing? We have this blessing when we recognize the love of Christ. We receive the love of Christ and we reflect his love to every single person we come in contact with. This is Jesus' command. It's his pattern, his example. And we'd be blessed if we do it in our own life. Now, what's interesting is the contrast between Peter and Judas are very powerful in this moment. Both these men, if we're, as we read on, we're going to see, both these men at different points in the next few chapters are going to fail Jesus. Peter is going to deny Jesus. Judas is going to betray Jesus. However, the outcome is different for them. Peter's restored, and yet Judas hangs himself. Why? Peter allowed the love of God to cleanse his heart, and Judas rejected the love of Christ. The question for you today is this. What do you need Christ to do in your own heart, in your own life? Are you in a season when you need to recognize his love for you? Are you in a season where you need to receive his love? Or you are in a season where you need to reflect His love? For some of us, that means we need to give our life to Christ. We need to recognize how much He loves us and how much He cares for us, and we need to surrender before Him. For some of us, we've been resistant to the love of God in our own life, but we need to bend a knee to Him and say, God, I see how much You love me, and I recognize that, and today I receive that in my own heart. But for others of us, though, it's time that we start reflecting the love of God. If we were to take a hard look at our own life, we say, you know what, I haven't been intentional, sacrificial as much as I need to. Christ has done so much for me. I need to reflect that to Him. These three things change the outcome of our life. If we want blessing in our life, those are the three things that are required in our own life. Would you stand with me today, and as you stand, I want to invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes today. As we are about to wrap up this service this morning, I just suspect that there's several of us in this room that perhaps we're in a season we don't feel blessed. We don't feel blessed. We don't have that in our own heart and our own life. And today, I want to encourage you as you're here listening to my voice and you've just seen the word of God, you've seen this play out, today we are on the receiving end of that. No, Jesus might not be here in flesh and blood washing our feet, but make no mistake about it. Spiritually, he washed our feet. He washed our hearts. He washed our mind. He washed our body. And today the question is, what is your response? Is it to recognize and receive, or is it to reflect?